Arkansas home, and in 1975, she married Bill. I think she was head over heels for, for Clinton. I really do. And I think she was also carrying in her heart an ambition that she and Bill and a lot of members of their generation uh, could transform America. Uh, it was, the, I think it was that large. In the mid-1970s, Donald Trump lived the life of a playboy and made the rounds with one particular model, Ivana Zundikova. It's about wanting to come into a room and command all of the attention. What better way to do that than to have a six-foot-tall, blonde supermodel on your arm? Roy Cohn drew up the prenup. Norman Vincent Peale officiated, and Donald and Ivana were married. Trump also had his eye on real estate. He had looked all over Manhattan for the perfect location. And Donald came upon this site which had the Bonwood Teller building on it. It was kind of a landmark building. It was next door to Tiffany's. He loved it. It was to be called Trump Tower. 58 stories of high-end retail and high-priced condominiums. A chance for Donald to finally surpass his father. To oversee the project, Trump surprised the construction world. He put a woman in charge. He said that I would be his representative and act sort of like a Donna Trump, he said, calling me a killer. I would be in charge of everything that, that would normally come to him. The men's world of unions and subcontractors in New York had never seen it before. Donald told me that he thought that men were better than women, especially in this field, but he said a good woman is better than 10 good men. I think he believed that women had to prove themselves more than men, so a good woman would work harder. Rez kept the contractors in line, and Executive Vice President Louise Sunshine handled the sales. He hired the right people to help him, myself being one of them. And we got the job done. Look at my next guest. There's a reporter on Wall Street that this is what he And Trump personally Trump took care of the marketing. Donald Trump, as I say, is just 33 years old. He now has an apartment for sale in a new Trump building called the Trump Tower. One floor of it, $11 million. You're worth all this money. You say you didn't say that you want to be worth a billion dollars. No, I really am not looking to make tremendous amounts of money. I'm looking to enjoy my life, and if that happens to go with it, that's fabulous. And to help sell the apartments, Trump had a novel idea. He inflated the floor numbers. His 58-story building became a 68-story building. How he got away with that, I'm not sure, but he did, and it made a lot of sense in his mind, because if you're renting a room, well, then on the sixth floor. In his mind, having an apartment, the higher the apartment was, the better it would look. In his autobiography, written with author Tony Schwartz, Trump would call it truthful hyperbole. People want to believe that something is the biggest and the greatest and the most spectacular. I call it truthful hyperbole. I came up with the phrase truthful hyperbole. And of course because there is no such thing as truthful hyperbole. But it's kind of a, uh, a winning phrase. It really does capture a way in which he sees the world. 
The truth doesn't mean much to Donald Trump. In the time when I was reporting on him, his lawyers said to me, Donald is a believer that if you repeat something enough, people will start to believe it. It's Yes, thousands of them mingled with Leclerc's madcap. And at its grand opening, the marketing, the publicity paid off. It's Donald Trump constructed out of marble and brass. That's what Trump Tower is. It's, it's him. You know, it's bold, it's big, it's polished, and it's highly marketed. Trump Tower made him. It was New York, and Donald embodied that glitz. And that was one of the first times he really got a taste of, of real celebrity. And Donald Trump is a man who thrives in the spotlight. Outside of the spotlight, I think he feels diminished. He had succeeded. Trump Tower was a reality. He had proof he was a winner, but not in everyone's eyes. There is a, an old money elite in Manhattan that has never accepted Donald. He was considered, I think, loud and obnoxious and too self-centered and ill-mannered and not someone who fit in. And so I think this is where Donald's resentment of the elite comes from. As Donald and Ivana moved into a penthouse on the top three floors of Trump Tower, something was missing. He doesn't have a lot of friends, but how can somebody in his position have friends? How do you, how do you trust anyone that, you know, isn't working for you? What, what do they want out of you? It's, it's very difficult. It's very lonely at the top. But he is the epitome of loneliness at the top. As much as I care about my work, my relationship with my wife, Hillary, means even more to me. Sometimes people ask me what it's like being married to Bill. He works so hard and keeps such long hours and becomes involved in so many other people's lives and problems. I always tell them it's great. We really cherish the time we do have together and appreciate the fact each of us works hard. In Arkansas, as Bill Clinton rose from attorney general to governor, Hillary Rodham became his most powerful aide. She changed her appearance and eventually her name. In order to avoid any problem and just to put it to rest i will forever be known as hillary rodham clinton and expect that that's she became skilled at policy and politics a fighter willing to play hardball to win not only is she with him every step of the way but he's relying on her more than ever she was his main policy maven during that period as well as political advisor it's a moment we've been waiting for we all know it you can feel it destiny is about to shake hands with history and after a decade as governor, they believed they were finally ready. They would make a run for the White House. And that is why today I proudly announce my candidacy for President of the United States of America. And Hillary was right with them, holding each other, waving to the crowds. And I remember looking at them, I, I said, I just hope they know what they're getting into. I have no Hillary would find out whether she was ready soon enough. Yes, I was Bill Clinton's lover for 12 years. 
Bill's past was about to catch up with him and Hillary. The truth is, I loved him. Now he tells me to deny it. The problems of Bill and other women are central to the Arkansas years and the marriage of Bill and Hillary Clinton. Well, I'm sick of all of the deceit and I'm sick of all of the lies. The rumors about other women that are more than rumors, they're, they're based on fact. He is absolutely lying. Every marriage is a puzzle, even to the people in it. And to have, on top of everything else, to have that laid out there. Um, and did I know that he had almost, did I know he had been unfaithful in his marriage? Yes. Um, he's a great flirt. We'll leave it at that. In Arkansas, there was even a name for it, bimbo eruptions. Hillary certainly knows, she absolutely knows that. She doesn't know everything. She never wanted to know everything. Hillary's the only person in the world who can completely answer that question accurately, but from all of my reporting on that subject, she certainly knew. Hillary had avoided speaking publicly about it. She would never do that. She will never open the door to the possibility of opening a conversation about his peccadilloes. And I think that that goes to the core of a lot of the clenched quality that she, that, that, that she portrays in public. As they campaigned in New Hampshire, the press pounced. There really isn't one, obviously. The allegations were beginning to take hold. They, they were beginning to undermine uh, the credibility uh, of this candidacy. Flowers' allegations of a prolonged extramarital. He's trying to regain his... In New Hampshire, Bill's candidacy seemed doomed. If they wanted to win, Hillary would have to be willing to talk about Bill and other women on national TV. Sat down with me to try to put the issue to rest. The interview would air just after the Super Bowl, with 40 million Americans watching. And I was there backstage, I was thinking to myself, I can't believe the two of them going out under these circumstances. Uh, I mean, how they, have, they must have nerves of steel to be able to do this. Earlier today, Governor Clinton and his wife Hillary sat down with me to try to put the issue to rest. And I remember I didn't want to watch it with friends. I wanted, wanted to sort of face it. Um, it was excruciating. Who is Jennifer Flowers? How would you describe your relationship? A very limited, uh, but until this, you know, friendly, but limited. She's a legend. The 12-year affair with you. It, that allegation is false. Everything she had fought for was in peril. Now Hillary would speak. You know, I'm not sitting here as some little woman standing by my man like Tammy Wynette. I'm sitting here because I love him and I respect him and I honor what he's been through and what we've been through together. And you know, if that's not enough for people, then heck, don't vote for him. A good friend of yours, one of your- Again and again, she was willing and able emotionally to step into the breach and protect her husband. She's looking at the ends justify the means. There's this huge political fight going on in the nation. They're on the, 
the right side of that fight and sort of taking it out of the personal and putting it into the, into this larger uh, construct is really her armor from then on. Maybe Clinton has kept the dogs off long enough that he'll go on to Super Let's Tuesday. Clinton one second. You're so he's in a strong second. In New Hampshire today, after months of campaigning, in some cases, candidates... The 60 Minutes appearance worked. They got the comeback they were looking for. I think we know enough to say with some certainty that New Hampshire tonight has made Bill Clinton the comeback kid. The truth would only come out years later in this deposition. And I had to admit under this definition that I'd actually had sexual relations with Jennifer Flowers. Now, I would rather have taken a whipping than done that after all the trouble I'd been through with Jennifer Flowers. It's another dazzling Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, your password to the last word in money, no object, adventure, and excitement. He had hit it big with Trump Tower. He was a celebrity in New York City. At 40, he claimed he was a billionaire. Welcome to the world according to Trump, the billionaire builder with a big bang approach who dared to autograph the Manhattan skyline. He was now determined to make Trump a household name all over America. He began with a legendary buying spree. Banks were lining up to give him money, and they would beat each other on terms to provide money to him. He was, he was spending money like a, uh, uh, like a drunken sailor. He buys a giant yacht that he doesn't really enjoy at all. It was an airline. He bought the Trump shuttle from bankrupt Eastern Airlines. Had no idea how to run an airline. Donald Trump, the biggest casino owner in Then he built a gambling empire in Atlantic City. Two casinos and a hotel. Then the iconic Plaza Hotel in New York City. It did seem out of control and possibly even pathological. Casino after casino after casino after casino. Hotels, yacht, everywhere he turned. Another big piece of real estate here, another big piece of real estate there. By the late 1980s, Donald Trump's ambition pushed him into uncharted territory, presidential politics. The signs of power and opulence in place, Donald Trump's personal helicopter descended onto this small airfield, greeted by a one-man Trump for president bandwagon. I arranged for the Portsmouth, New Hampshire Chamber of Commerce to invite him for a luncheon speech and a local Portsmouth city councilman named Mike Dunbar forms the first known draft Trump for president committee. Trump's political advisor, Roger Stone, was a longtime associate of Roy Cohn. In truth, I don't think he was ever serious about running in 1988. I think he liked the publicity. He liked the notoriety. It was, it was great media. What I want is I want extreme competence. I want strength and extreme competence. And you need a combination of both, but I want strength and extreme competence at the helm of this country. In one speech after another, Trump's political message was simple and direct. I'm personally tired of seeing this great country of ours being ripped off and really decimated and hurt badly by so many foreign nations that are supposedly our allies. NATO is ripping us off. 
why are we paying for this? Why don't the Japanese pay for themselves? Why don't all our allies, they're rich now, why don't they pay for themselves? Trade, we're getting taken to the cleaners in these trade deals. So he's already formulating his, his views as early as 88. He loved the attention and even began to insert himself into controversial issues in New York City. It is the ages of the accused, 14 to 17 years old, and the horror of their alleged crimes that has caused a furor. A woman jogging in New York Central Park last Wednesday night, raped and nearly beaten to death. What happened in Central Park was a violation to him, and he felt it keenly, and he uh, felt was had a deep emotional reaction to it, and so he lashed out. He took out a full-page ad after the Central Park jogger case and said, the kids who did this should be executed. This is terrible. Um, they're beasts, animals. You better believe that I hate the people that took this girl and raped her brutally. You better believe it. And it's more than anger. It's hatred. And I want society to hate them. The unstated text of this was because there were five minority kids who brutalized a white woman in Central Park and everybody's outraged about it. And they're different from us. And so we need to treat them with the severest methods possible. The five young men spent years in prison, but were later exonerated when the actual rapist admitted his guilt. But Donald Trump never apologized. He didn't want to admit he was wrong. Uh, and to this day, he's not apologized for the statements he made at the time. But for Trump, his television rage had worked. His celebrity was bigger than ever. And the talk of President Trump had begun. I don't believe that Trump himself felt that he was running for president. But once the notion got stirred up in him, it never went away. Governor, are you ready to take the oath? I am. I, William Jefferson Clinton, do solemnly swear. It had been nearly 20 years since Hillary Rodham Clinton lived in Washington. Now, she was back. The office of President of the United States. So help me God. Congratulations. I think the hopes were very high. It just seemed like, you know, the sky's the limit. The question in Washington, what role would she play? I do remember the president-elect uh, noting a couple of times that if another Democrat had been elected president, Hillary Clinton might be the attorney general pick. When I first interviewed him, I said, so what's your goal for the next eight or ten years? And he said, eight years of Bill, eight years of Hill. I want to say, uh, good afternoon. On the fifth day of his presidency, Bill Clinton ended the speculation about his wife. Today I am announcing the formation of the president's task force on national health reform. A first lady had never had an office in the West Wing. She had one, and now she had an official position. This task force will be chaired by the First Lady, Hillary Rodham Clinton. She was considered a political asset to accomplish the president's agenda. And health care reform was high on that agenda. Hillary Clinton surprised Washington by operating in near total secrecy. For months, her task force worked behind closed doors. The health care plan is being developed secretly they're walled off. I mean, it's like uh, the development of the atom bomb. I mean, it, it's, it's almost in a fortress. She believed the secrecy was necessary, but it provoked a backlash. 
She's shutting down dissent. She is operating in secret. She's throwing her weight around in a way that people in the United States Congress are absolutely appalled uh, by and also are empowered by and use it against her and the Clinton White House. This is the Social Security Act passed in August of 1935, 38 pages in length, establishing Social Security for all Americans. This is the Health Security Act, excuse me if I have a little trouble picking it up, and that is 1,342 pages, 38 pages versus 1,342. Few first ladies over the years have earned as much attention. Her health care plan was under fire. About secrecy surrounding her health care task force. But that wasn't all. Powerful and public first lady ever. The criticism was becoming personal. Mrs. Clinton is a player in this administration. When you come into the White House, you are literally under attack every moment of the day. Hillary Rodham Clinton has forever changed the role of first lady. The police come with the dog with this job. And I'm sure that they knew all of this, but... It is, it is a, it's a real eye-opener when you see how brutal it actually can be. Quite capable of playing hard. She there were reports of marital strife. Allegations that she'd orchestrated the firing of White House travel office employees. And questions about their finances and real estate deals. This was all happening at once, and they'd gotten the prize. And the prize would turn to dust. The prize was becoming a complete nightmare. Increasingly, the first lady believed she was at war. Hillary Clinton began to feel very much uh, a victim of, you know, as she described it, the vast right-wing conspiracy. And builds up a, a set of resentments that I think she's she's carried to this day. As the attacks mounted, she decided that what she needed to do was to get out of Washington. They are on the road again, a Clinton campaign-style caravan of... The White House has organized a campaign... She would try to sell the health care plan directly to the American public. If we do not guarantee health insurance to every American, then we have failed all Americans. But if anything, the reaction outside of Washington was even worse. Since last September, when the president proposed his health plan, the Clintons have campaigned endlessly for it. There was anger in the crowds. It was about more than health care. It was about her. I remember as though it were yesterday was as her car was leaving, there were such angry faces pushing as best they could in sort of a mob attack on the windshield uh, and, and screaming at her for, you know, what is it she's trying to do? Hillary Clinton began to realize that just as in Arkansas, there was something about who she was that some people didn't like. And she talked about how she was shocked and she got a little emotional about this by the reaction to her when she went on the road trying to sell the health care plan. They spit on her. They, they cursed her. She said, I don't know what I'm going to do. She said, everything is my fault. Nothing I do works. And white men hate me. No, she said, it's not me they hate. 
It's the it's what I represent. It's the changes I represent. I'm the wife who went back to college and got a better education and got a better job than my husband. She recognized that problem back then, and of course, it remains a problem for today. One of the most extraordinary off-year elections in the Democrats are finding it tough going to. Just when you thought it couldn't get any uglier, it does. The health care plan died. Republican revolution of election '94. And that year, the Democrats lost the midterm election. Man of the hour clearly is Newt Gingrich, the Republican firebrand. Some of the blame fell on the first lady. She was viewed, I think, slightly radioactively by, the, by some people in the West Wing and on the president's staff. People in the West Wing were pointing a lot of fingers at her. Hillary did feel a, a sense of disappointment, a sense of responsibility, feeling that certainly had contributed to the political landscape. It's a monumental problem for President Clinton and his political agenda. In desperation, again, Hillary reached out to the controversial political operative Dick Morris in secret. We both decided to keep it secret, and I came up with a code name, Charlie, and uh, I uh, used that, and from November 94 until April 95, uh, nobody knew I was there but Bill and Hillary. Among Democrats, Morris, now a Republican strategist, had an unsavory reputation. Dick Morris was was ghastly. I mean, he was absolutely horrible. He was the most arrogant, narcissistic person I had ever met in Washington. I mean, and there are a lot of arrogant narcissists in Washington, believe me, but he was beyond the pale. Still, if Morris could help, the Clintons welcomed it. The, the thing about the Clintons is you can basically predict what, what that they're going to do. <laughs> the same patterns repeat themselves over and over and over again in their lives. They got beat. Uh, just like they got beat for governor, and they did what it took to, to recover from that, and that was bring in Dick Morris, and we'll figure our way back. To win re-election, Morris persuaded the president to champion more conservative positions. The first lady's longtime friends were alarmed. I was naturally upset. I mean, <laughs> here we had a takeover of the White House in the form of Dick Morris, and he was pushing the president to the right. Uh, it was uh, distressing, to say the least. Morris also identified one other problem that needed fixing. Hillary. I recommended that Hillary withdraw entirely from West Wing activities in public in the White House. Uh, that is public policy that she no longer be seen as the key strategist, as the de facto chief of staff, because I said it was giving Bill a reputation for weakness where he might not be able to win re-election. With her husband's re-election at stake, she agreed to withdraw. She stayed away from the West Wing and transformed herself once again. Hi, how are you all? Well, welcome to the White House and to the beginning of the uh, Christmas season here. The Christmas scene was a variation of staying home and baking cookies. Uh, she was standing by her man and doing what it took to, to do that. And it worked. With her help, Bill Clinton was re-elected in 1996. By the early 1990s, Donald Trump's life was about to fall apart, professionally and personally. The rumors began that he had a girl 
and so forth, and I was being bombarded with these stories. Liz Smith was a well-known gossip columnist in newspapers and on television. Smith kept a close eye on Donald and Ivana. Ivana was totally fixated on Donald. I heard all, all these things that she had tried to please him and gone away and had her breasts augmented and a facelift. But now there was another woman, 26-year-old Marla Maples. Ivana and Donald had been married 12 years. They had three children. She threw herself in my arms, sobbing and crying and saying, Donald doesn't want me anymore. He has told me he can't be sexually attracted to a woman who's had children. The Trumps are good copy, and the gossip columnists are in for a field day. The unfolding saga of Trump versus Trump. A high-octane mix of the stuff that... For months, the tabloids reported on every detail of the affair, the breakup, and the divorce. It was ugly. It was horribly ugly. The press was devastating in my mind. But Donald didn't seem to think it was so devastating at all. He just rode with it and he had his camp and Ivana uh, had her camp. But in Manhattan, the story is Trump versus Trump. And he was totally comfortable in that period under the tutelage of Roy Cohn and the idea that all publicity is good publicity. Donald Trump felt that his name, his image, his brand were enhanced by having this war go on in the tabloid newspapers of New York, complete with sexual details of relationships. The worst publicity in the world can end up being good publicity. Meaning, yeah, people said terrible things about me, but they sure know who I am. And a month later or three months later, they don't remember what it was they didn't like about you. They just remember they know your name. Just then, Donald took on the biggest deal of his lifetime, the Taj Mahal Casino. If Trump Tower is one bookend of Donald Trump's career in business and represents everything that he did right, the Taj Mahal is the other bookend that represents everything he did wrong. It was huge, 1,250 rooms. The casino was the size of two football fields, $14 million worth of chandeliers. On Wall Street, some analysts were worried and one of them spoke to the Wall Street Journal. I saw a real problem. I didn't think that the company could uh, cover its interest expenses on that debt, plus the payroll was enormous because of the uh, scope of the property. Trump had spent more than a billion dollars on the Taj. Once the cold winds blow from October to February, it won't make it. The market just isn't there. Donald Trump sent Marvin Rothman's boss this letter. Mr. Rothman is considered by those in the industry to be a hair trigger and, in my opinion, somewhat unstable in his tone and manner of criticism. Donald Trump sees the people who have criticized him or have predicted that he would do poorly, he sees them as traitors. And so his immediate instinct is to tear that person down. I am now planning to institute a major lawsuit against your firm unless Mr. Rothman makes a major public apology or is dismissed. Rothman had worked at his brokerage firm for 16 years. 
He says they told him to back down. Donald Trump was trying to send a message to other people on Wall Street. Uh, you better not badmouth me or your job may be in jeopardy. Rothman stood his ground. My firm, uh, I mean, fired me like on the spot and not just in a nice way. Uh, they actually escorted me out the building. And when the elevator got down to the lobby to exit, my boss made a comment to me. Marvin, you know, I, I like you as a person, but a little friendly advice. Keep your mouth shut about this or you'll never work in the industry again. Burdened by debt, the Taj would not turn a profit. By that winter, as Rothman predicted, the casino was in serious trouble. His business condition was terrible, worse than terrible. We were in a deep recession and people weren't going to Atlantic City. So the revenue stream from Atlantic City, the Taj Mahal and the other casinos was poor. Trump's other investments had not fared much better. The Plaza Hotel, a financial disaster. The airline Trump shuttle was bleeding money. He sort of blamed the people around him for what went wrong um, instead of himself. He started blaming people. He started firing people. He started yelling at people. He said, I can be a screamer, and he certainly was, according to various accounts. I think I'm maybe Trump had long cast himself as a winner. Now he was looking like a loser. I think that the downtime for him was really a shock, and he was not prepared for it. It caught him totally off guard, but it was probably the biggest challenge of his life. The Donald is facing an incredible cash crisis. Big troubles for Donald Trump. Trump and his companies owed more than $3 billion, much of it to the banks that had fueled his spending spree. As quickly as the banks loved him, that's as quick as they saw him as a pariah. He was like, oh, it's Donald Trump. They, they didn't want to have anything to do with him. They wanted their money and they wanted to be rid of Donald Trump. The bankers descended on Trump Tower. Bankers held gigantic meetings at Trump Tower with like 40 banks all sitting around in a room. Donald very sober looking like not quite penitent perhaps, but serious. When you were talking to him in these meetings, it just didn't seem that he had any idea how big the problem was or how it would be resolved. But he, as far as being a CEO and understanding numbers and understanding the ramifications. It doesn't seem like he took economics or accounting in college. Donald Trump's assets are on the line. Citibank and Trump's other lenders are working on the a The bankers bailout. faced a fundamental decision. The Trump Organization confirmed today. It was at a time when we all were trying to figure out is it better off this guy being alive financially or is it better off having him dead financially. As they stared into the Trump Organization's abyss, the banks came to believe that Trump's assets, the buildings, the casinos, were worth more with his name on them than in foreclosure. If they were to take Trump out of it, they would no longer have the name for the casinos, which was a tremendous part of their allure. 
otherwise, basically, what could they do? Liquidate and take a tremendous hit. The brand was worth now so much that bankers were willing to take a haircut in order to hang on to the name. The Trump princess is said to have a price They sold the yacht and the airline. Trump may have to unload the Trump shuttle. And they put Trump on a $450,000 a month allowance. In exchange, he would continue to promote the business. I think bankers look at Trump as a promoter, not as a CEO. At least that's the way I looked at him. And if you talk to other bankers, they, I think they share that opinion. He's a wonderful promoter. He, you know, he's the P.T. Barlandum of the 21st century. Donald Trump may have pulled off his biggest deal to date. Donald Trump had survived. He was too big to fail. The bankers do not want Trump to file for bankruptcy. Explosive new allegations that strike at the very heart of the... On the morning of January 21st, 1998, Hillary Clinton's world was rocked once again. Bill Clinton woke her up one day and said... I just have to tell you that there's this weird thing going on that I don't want you to worry about it. She tells the story herself in her book. He sat on the edge of the bed and said, there's something in today's papers you should know about. What are you talking about, I asked. He told me there were news reports that he'd had an affair with a former White House intern. It was at once probably a complete shock to her and no shock at all. If that's possible, that's the way I would view it. I questioned Bill over and over about the story. He continued to deny any improper behavior, but to acknowledge that his attention could have been misread. And Hillary Clinton believes that, and believes it and wants to believe it. These are dark days at the White House. Monica Lewinsky told prosecutors all she knows. Monica Lewinsky saved a navy blue dress that had the president's semen stain on it, that she saved it as a kind of souvenir. As the pressure grew, she decided to act. From Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. And good morning and welcome to today on this Tuesday morning. She headed to New York for an appearance on the Today Show. Her top aide, Milan Verveer, was with her. We'll hear in just a few minutes from the First Lady of the United States. The night before was almost surreal because, you know, we just felt this personal pain that she was experiencing. There wasn't a whole lot of conversation and it wasn't clear exactly what she intended to say. I think the important thing now is to stand uh, as firmly as I can and say that, you know, the president has denied these allegations on all counts, unequivocally. She had no choice. Um, she, I mean, think about all that she had invested in this for so many decades. And this is the, their most vulnerable point. Um, I don't think she, you know, with all of that investment, I don't think she had any, any choice but to say what she did and to do what she did. Has he described that relationship in detail to you? Hillary fought well, back fought. like she had always done. The great story here for anybody willing to find it and write about it and explain it is this vast right-wing conspiracy that has been conspiring against my husband since the day he announced for president. Those words, the vast right-wing conspiracy, helped with that larger construct. This wasn't personal, this was political. And that's her armor. This is the last great battle. Hillary Rodham Clinton had learned how to deal with scandals. That's saying, though, that, you're no long, that this doesn't upset you anymore? You're, you're Look, almost it, numb to it? 
it's not being numb so much as just being very experienced in the unfortunate uh, mean-spirited give-and-take of American politics right now. If an American president had an adulterous liaison in the White House and lied to cover it up, should the American people ask for his resignation? Well, they should certainly be concerned about it. Should they ask for his resignation? Well, I think that if all that were proven true, I think that would be a very serious offense. That is not going to be proven true. I think Hillary becomes almost the last person standing to believe that there was no sexual event or relationship between Monica Lewinsky and Bill, Bill Clinton. But her world is collapsing around her. The presidency, her husband's presidency is collapsing. Then, after months, the truth. Look okay? Indeed, I did have a relationship with Ms. Lewinsky that was not appropriate. In fact, it was wrong. It not only made a fool of himself, but he had made a fool of her publicly. This is Hillary Clinton we're talking about. You know, a brilliant person who was played for a fool, publicly. I misled people, including even my wife. I deeply regret that. Hillary must have been absolutely beside herself. I mean, the president had personally assured her that there had been nothing to this. I mean, here he is, the president of the United States, and he has a, an intern, I mean, a, a, a little girl, and, and he's risking his entire administration? I mean, that, that seemed to me absolutely impossible. She truly hates him. She thinks, you know, how stupid this woman is. Chelsea's age, that intensifies the, or almost, you know, that intensifies that hatred. The next day, Hillary, Bill, and Chelsea departed for vacation. She's obviously furious, and she clearly is not going to hold his hand. Both of them are holding the two hands of Chelsea. The entire country was waiting to see how she handled. Not just the press. Everybody. Because, gosh almighty, who had ever had to be in that position before? She's talked about it only in guarded ways, but, but in ways that suggest that she went through a terrible, terrible time as a result of that and, and lives with that today. The trip would be the first step in a months-long reconciliation. The nation's most flamboyant and publicity-conscious big money... In the aftermath of Donald Trump's financial collapse, the casinos were still deeply in debt. He was looking for a way out. He found one. Wall Street. Donald Trump is gambling. Investors want to bet on him. This is a very exciting day. This is just the right time, and it's the right time for this industry. So we're really, uh, we're really happy. This is a very exciting day. He was selling shares in the casinos. With Trump as the pitchman, the stock, DJT, hit a high of $35 a share. Of course, it left Donald Trump as the steward of a publicly traded company, which is kind of like leaving a kid locked in a candy store overnight. Trump paid himself $44 million for services, and he'd been reimbursed millions in expenses more for his plane, the helicopter, and other administrative costs. 
So he was making tens of millions of dollars a year personally while the stock price was sinking, almost collapsing. The company filed for bankruptcy three times. Investors lost billions. He never earned a dime for his shareholders, for pensioners who had the retirement funds tied up in those casinos. Never earned a dime until he just drove the whole thing off the cliff. With all your financial problems, you think you will survive? Why do you say they're problems? Are you not Trump characteristically problems? described his time in Atlantic City as a success. Everything financially okay? Don't believe everything you read. I'll tell you. Donald Trump believes that he came out ahead because, as he puts it, he was looking out for Donald Trump. And all of the other people who lost their shirts didn't work out for them. That's the way things go. They should have done a better job of vetting uh, their investment. And Trump walked away with a key asset, his name. It really dawned on Trump that he could make a huge business empire out of putting his name everywhere. God, I don't have to kill myself trying to buy up land and deal with zoning boards and you know go crazy and half the time it doesn't work anyway why don't i just sell my name dozens of trump buildings would go up around the world but he would neither build them nor own them it has my name on it i get a fee i usually get the management of the building as well which brings even in more money in and everybody thinks i it's my building it's trump tower Manila, uh, Trump Tower, Panama City. For Trump, real estate was now a side business, marketing his own name a full-time job. Do you really think this is the right thing for us to be doing, Ivana? But it feels so right. Then it's a deal? Yes, we eat our pizza the wrong way. Crust first. Along with his ex-wife, Trump turned his marital problems into a pizza commercial. Now for the last slice. Actually... You're only entitled to half. He's seen that it's a consumer country. We're all consumers. We're trained to be consumers. We're used to being sold to. He's a really good salesman. He knows how to sell. It's amazing. A big and tasty for just a dollar? How do you do it? What's your secret? He used his celebrity to sell everything from computers to hamburgers. Got a buck? You're in luck. Together, Grimace. We could own this town. He realizes that if you're on TV and you're considered a celebrity and you're considered a success and that you can essentially trade on that for the rest of your life. Full Steve Austin. What's going on over here? He even took a turn as a professional wrestler. He was seen for quite a long time as a punchline to jokes about the excesses and the failures of the 1980s. And he'd become, uh, you know, a human shingle and a, a, a punchline. The Apprentice turned all of that on its head. New York, my city, where the wheels of the global economy never stop turning. He became seen as a credible business person with a real track record, even though that was at odds with reality. And the guy who became a reality TV star via The Apprentice learned that he could become a reality political star. Who will succeed and who will fail and who will be The Apprentice? For 14 seasons, millions of Americans watched a carefully crafted Donald Trump. He's perfectly made up. He's perfectly coiffed. He's perfectly lit. 
He's in the high back chair making tough decisions. What does he look like? He looks like a president. Donald connected with the American public because they wanted to be like him. They aspired to be just like him. They wanted to see all this affluence. And he let them see it. He let them into every aspect of what it meant to be successful in America. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Everybody's saying I should run for president. Let me ask you a question. Meatloaf, should I run for president? Absolutely. Now, you would definitely As the show took off, Trump again began to discuss a run for the White House. Who would not vote for me? (laughs) Who would not vote for him? (laughs) All right, good. A hot hand, don't raise your hand. (laughs) I would say anybody that raised... He was very serious. (laughs) There's no question about it. His popularity was was never higher than it was, you know, during this uh, apprentice time. And he was literally, he could do no wrong at that stage. And I think that he realized, wow, if I've hit the high, let's take it to the, where can you go from there? I want to be president. And for his political guru, Roger Stone, the TV audience could become Trump voters. Which is the greatest single asset to his presidential campaign because for 14 seasons he is viewed by the voters by the po- by the population in a perfect light now i understand the elite say oh that's reality tv voters don't see it that way television news and television entertainment it's all television he was wealthy again he had rehabilitated his image the world knew him Donald Trump believed he was ready. 